Hello, you are listening to the Building a Life podcast, and I am your host, May Ruling. The following interview was recorded in September of 2020, um, so you will see that some things maybe are not as accurate anymore. However, I still find the conversation to be really relevant and useful, and I hope that you will too. Thank you so much for listening. Um, We're here today with my friend Christopher Knight. He is a comedy director and producer. Um, We have known each other since we were like 15. So he is not going to call me May because I wasn't May when I was 15 years old. No, you were Margaret and that felt older. So I always called you Maggie. Yes. Yes. So I'll I'll continue to call you Maggie. I will not conform to your modern standards. (laughs) You do what you want to do. Great. Thank you for having me here. You're welcome. Thank you for volunteering to come and talk about structures and money. Yeah. So maybe I didn't realize how much was money at the top, but that's fine. I've got my Excel open. (laughs) I don't. I don't actually. You think I know how to touch Excel? I'm a creative. I don't know how to put the numbers in a formula. Of course not. No. Uh, But thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, Well, let's get started. Um, How do you structure your days and weeks to actually get shit done? Cool. So um, my days are structured pretty typical. Uh, I I like nine to five workflow. I like uh, getting up, doing maybe an hour of bullshit and then actually getting to some form of work. and so, and then I also like to be done at a reasonable hour so that I can still be a human being that cooks dinner and, and you know, um, watches some television or something at the end of the night. Uh, so I, I don't have one of these um, crazy spirited artist schedules. I, I, I try to really get it contained into like eight or nine hours a day. Um, my day job stuff consumes a lot of that. I... I work as a producer director, but currently a majority of my income is done through editing. So video editing uh, on the digital side. I work with media companies, um, news organizations, places like that, making smaller package pieces. And uh, and so often that provides me a lot of the structure that I just have to follow because they give me a post schedule and I have to get things done. Um, The ways that I structure what I do with that time can kind of change day to day but i always try to make it fit into those windows um i think in my 20s i was a person who could work you know 12 to 14 hours a day and feel like the passion of what i was doing and now i have just gotten to be lazy and old and uh more uh (laughs) more crabby so i try to i try to make it work in normal work hours now i feel that's not laziness. I feel like that's just respecting that you need rest and play. Yes, though if you are the creative sort, it it does it does hit you a little bit that it makes you feel like you are being less creative. That like um there's a narrative that also often takes place that is just like um you know creativity is passion and it inspires you and it drives you and it like pulls you like you're riding on some roller coaster and the best work that you make is just jotting down notes in the notebook along the way, right? Uh I have never prescribed that notion, but I used to pull a lot more entertainment out of my creative work 
And so it was like my work was my favorite hobby. And I think in more recent years, my work has felt more comfortably settled in as work, which is to say I feel confident that I can do it. Uh, I like doing it, but I also like to leave room for my personal life that is not work. Uh, and that that feels like getting old <laughs> a little bit. It does, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know. We're the same age. It's like you have had to have reached a point where you were just like, yeah, this is like my favorite thing to do in the world. I still could just use a night to watch reruns of Ally McBeal or something. Like, I need something stupid to just fill air for a while. Yes, I knit and I take photos of street cats. Yeah, and those are the things that bring you the rest. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and for a long time, I didn't have that. I, I I did not fill my days with moments of rest. I had this like um, this like mixture of being very fortunate to have a lot of work on my plate and also uh, this like blue collar mentality that I feel like you're not working, you're failing. Yes. Like, you know, my, my grandparents never rested. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like in my partner's family, like her grandparents like built a home from scratch because it was cheaper. And like I think about those people when I'm just like, well, I don't feel like editing a video right now. You know, like it's like, <laughs> shut up. Go do the work. Like you have family members that work in factories like you could go cut a video for a little bit. Right. It's hard to feel like the creative work that we love is still work. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm sure you probably want to get more nitty gritty with my day than just that. Yeah, like, okay. So you get up and you do what? Okay, uh, all of this I should also caveat, by the way, is that like um, what I'm going to project out to you is that what my typical has been. I feel like I am currently in a bit of a creative slump. Yeah. In that like uh, I just bought a home and uh we're also in a, a fucking pandemic and right? uh those things have jarred me in a way and so uh now like at this point in time in life i am desperately clawing at getting back to the routine that i've always envisioned for myself as like the way i most succeed so i'm gonna project a little bit and then i'll caveat when like let's be real uh but let's say i wake up in the morning um i i'm a breakfast person I know there's some people who don't feel like they're breakfast people. I'm, I'm breakfast all the way. Um, I like to take some stuff in, you know, like the news or like a podcast. Nothing that's like super entertaining, but something that uh, fills my head with some stuff right away. And then um, and then I try more often than not to journal in some fashion um i've read the artist way i know people swear by that i i it feels too culty for me <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar the artist way is like a um a self-help book for creatives that involves doing your morning pages where you write three pages of just anything just to blurt it out of your head i think that habit is helpful um and I think that it does break off the morning ring rust for allowing your brain to think critically and creatively at the same time. Uh, so I do aspire to be a person who does that more often than not. And then some mornings I wake up and my back hurts and I'm just grouchy and I stand in the shower for an extra long time. And that doesn't happen. 
Uh, but that's like what I hope my morning routine is a little bit of coffee and, uh, you know, those sorts of things. I do wish we were in an era where like reading a newspaper felt more realistic. I mean, you could get a newspaper subscription. Nah, I don't feel right. You could <laughs> I, set like, a timer and read the news app on your phone. I, assume I don't want my phone. So that okay, that's a good important thing to bring up right away is that uh, when I am in my home, I try desperately to not be near my phone. Okay, so where do you put your phone then? So, okay, this has been evolution. First thing I had to do was get a real alarm clock because the bit, the worst behavior possible was using my phone as the alarm clock because what happens, you hit snooze or what happened for me is that I would, I'd take the alarm, I'd, I'd deal with the fact that I'm waking up, but then I would stall by just being on Twitter or going on Reddit or just mind numbing scrolling and I didn't want that and so um, again, in caveat, uh, this has not happened when I moved into a house. Now I am more glued on my phone than ever, and I desperately need to go put it away. But uh, in my ideal world, I don't have the phone near me for much of the day. Uh, and so, yeah, I wish that, like, I wish that I didn't feel foolish to, and wasteful to have, like, a time subscription mailed to the door every day where I could open it up, maybe have, like, a fuddy-duddy old man robe and some slippers and uh, and really just, like, revel in being born in the wrong era you know i really love that image <laughs> it's a very stupid one because it's like i don't have the physique that carries that well i just I, I could wear the old fruffy like the old robe but i would still just look like dumpy white trash in it but <laughs> yeah but i'm sure your neighbors would just really love the morning visual of you out in a robe getting the paper i this is a total rat hole but like you remember watching movies from the 80s where dads just did that right where like they just walked out in their underwear to get the newspaper and everyone in that neighborhood was cool with that yeah but i i always watched them and i was like that can't be real life right it can't be but real also, life we didn't get the newspaper my grandparents got the newspaper, but they didn't get mail delivered to their house. I don't remember. That and sounds like, like someone doing some form of tax evasion, and I'm going to call it out. <laughs> no, they have We don't get mail to our home. We go to a P.O. box that doesn't have our name listed, but it does it's say that we're from Alabama. On, they lived on Highway 28 or something ridiculous, so there was no postman coming by to deliver the mail. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I've, I've, I've got cornfield yeah. family as well. I understand that. Yeah, there were literally cornfields all around them. Um, but yeah, so I try not to have my phone. I try to like, but I try to try to take in some news. Uh, I've been, I've been a big. Let's get into the minutia. I've been a big fan of the Reuters app on Apple TV. You can say fifteen minutes of news. They give you fifteen minutes of news. It's usually a very thick British accent reading some bad B roll to you. Fun. Yeah, but it's still the news. So I feel like I've educated myself. I've consumed. All right. All right, but anyway, that's the morning. So then, and then I get, you get to, started. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and and so I get started, and often, um, I'm a very task-based person. Um, you've known me long enough to know that, like, anytime I could talk to anybody about task manager apps like OmniFocus and all these like things that I, I get really obsessed with uh, productivity and efficiency. But what it does mean is that it means that, like, the thing I'm first doing in the morning is not creative ever uh, because it's hard to put a checklist to creative. Right. Like I can break down an edit all day and it's got stages and it's got like um, workflows and 
order of operation that I could follow and be diligent about. But like, I, I don't know that I could do that about writing a script or um, about just brainstorming things. So a lot of my workflow is about getting the tasks in front of me done as quickly as possible. Uh, often that means it's the day job stuff first. Um, I'm fortunate enough that in my day job work, I can kind of dictate the pace. I am often told deadlines. And then how I get to said deadline is my own choosing. And that provides me a luxury of being able to front load things. Um, there are often been times where uh, I know that like I need a certain day more dedicated to something that is not my day job. But I don't want to take the day off, so I will just work harder uh, to knock out that work so that I can just pretend on Slack that I'm working that day. <laughs> How do you pretend on Slack? Oh, it's listen, when you have a very chipper disposition with people and you like to be very chummy, uh, you just kind of gloss over whether you're getting anything done. So occasionally there is a moment in time where I'm just like, I don't know, I'm having Internet issues. The thing is, I just moved to the burbs and it's acting weird, but I can get you that cut in the morning. I'll be fine. And then a lot of times I will, and this is now I'm giving all the bastard editor tricks. I will have a cut done two days before it's due. Like I'll do the work ahead of time. It's not lazy, right? It's just like I front loaded. And so like, but I'll hold, I'll hold on to the export and not deliver it until the day so that they don't think that they've got time to give in more notes or anything like that. Because yeah. for a lot of this stuff, that's not necessary. Um, so what it means is that like, I still dictate my schedule and I still, you know, I'll have days where I don't do creative at all. I'll have days where I just do the day job. And then I'll have a day where I'm supposed to be doing the day job, but because I did 10 hours of it the day before, uh, I'm going to give myself some leeway today and work on the fun stuff for the majority of the day and then just check in or do some notes or something. Um, so it's it's fluid and flexible. And, what, and what's nice about that is that it, it feels refreshing still that I can do that, those sorts of things. Um. And it also means, you know, like I, I work as an editor predominantly, but I still do take directing gigs. And so when those show up, I can be like, great, I'll shoot on Wednesday and I just rearrange everything so that I can make it work. This shouldn't be uncommon for like freelancers. I feel like a lot of people on this or listening are going to be like, yeah, yeah, I do that shit all the time. Quit bragging. It's familiar to me, even with my like standard 10 to 6 office job. Yeah. Of knowing, OK, these are the days that I have deadlines where I really have to be in front of the computer. Yeah. And the other days, if I want to work at 7 p.m. instead of 10 a.m., no one is going to yell at me because my stuff is done when it needs to be done. Yes. I, now, we should say that we're, we, you and I are both people who have been able to work from home for a very long time before pandemic. Because I, I feel like so many people in my life have been impacted by pandemic changes either in one of two ways. One, they don't have any work at all, right? Like they were the people that needed to be working on set and, and they're really struggling but and trying to figure out new ways to adapt. And then there are the others who used to rely on professional tools they had at a location that now need to make compromises in their homes and they don't know how to make those sort of adaptations but for me I, i've been able to i've taken on a lot of editing from home because i always knew that i was able to uh, work faster than what they would prescribe on the schedule and uh still a bullshit that it didn't take me as fast or i didn't go as fast as i they thought right like i i've always made it it's always been a little performance yeah it's managing expectations absolutely yeah. And and knowing that, like, if you fuck up, it's on you. Definitely. Because it's like you're playing a risky game now of, like, 
projecting one thing when you're doing it another and that like the stress and the burden of like hitting that rests on your shoulders yeah did i sound responsible when i said that yeah totally great thank you thank you thank you you're welcome how you're talking a lot about um doing these task-based day jobby stuff and then getting into the creative stuff how do you differentiate those in your mind like what counts as creative and what counts as not yeah um that's a great question i you know so my circumstance is such that the job that pays the bills still is creative um but the distinction for me is whether it's creative i'm generating or not right so as an editor um i i typically work in edit jobs that need a person that's producer minded um, because there is a distinction like some shows they'll well they want an editor who's diligent and very craft oriented and sometimes they want someone who can think like a producer and just craft a story and so any of the edit work I've done whether it be TV digital or otherwise usually falls into that purview where they need somebody that takes a little bit of ownership so I do get to be creative with that it's not as satisfying as getting to be your creative right and so As a director, uh, I really cherish the time when, like, the thing I'm working on is that. Um, so to get back to your question about, like, how do I distinguish, like, sw- how do I switch, right, like, into those sort of two modes, the answer is quite difficult <laughs> for me. Um, and it's something that even in my best days I struggle with. Um, I find that task-based things... I know how to like break it down into something that doesn't feel like hard work, even though it's tremendously hard work. And with creative, I have tried for years and various ways to approach it the same way. And so like, you know, for example, I, I, I don't like getting into situations where you have writer's block. Um, nobody does, but like I sort of follow that Stephen King model of like it's inexcusable. <laughs> Right. And uh, that's not to be cocky because Lord knows I still get stuck into it. But my head can't get wrapped around the notion that I should hit a wall and not know what to write. And so I uh, I get a lot into a lot of workflows about how to break down the creative process so that when I do have time to write, I know that I can pull from something and then just start writing. Um, so that for me is about. uh making sure that I always have ideas kind of at the ready, like ideas come to you all the time. And, but I have, you know, like an app workflow of like, how do I log my ideas when I have them in a way that I can explain to myself again later what it was. Okay. So let's talk about that. What is that app flow look like for you? So uh, I use this uh, iOS app called drafts. Um, Drafts is the most intimidatingly nerdy thing that you will encounter. It, it has been simpler things previous, um, but sometimes I get a chip on my shoulder and think that like I can handle the big boy stuff, and I and I go for this app. So drafts is an app that um, essentially you put text into it and then decide afterward where that text goes. So if you think about like um, you know if you're on your phone and you just need to like log something that's on your mind. Uh, you may like open up a notes app, right? But you, but then you get like four pages in or four pages, like four sentences in, you realize, oh, this is actually an email to someone. Like this is something that I need to email out because it's a task I need to delegate. Um, drafts is a place where you just dump the words and then you can script where it goes. And so 
put a lot and this is so again you're seeing the habit now of me trying to uh make something intangible like creativity tangible <laughs> yeah and uh so i yes i've workflows where it's like as i as i log an idea great if that's something that's creative that um doesn't require like any research like a sketch right like i do comedy so sketch ideas show up a lot web series ideas show up a lot um or series now i you know now i pitch tv so i should actually stop saying web series uh I will throw that into my journaling app, which I use day one, um, and I will put it in what I call my common book. And that's just where I throw creative ideas and I can just skim that whenever I want to write something and be like, what out of here feels fun, right? And like, let's just pull it and go. Or if it's something that feels like a bigger project, if it's a research project, like I, I like I have an idea, but it's not enough of an idea. I need to like look and read and consume for a while. I can take that text I wrote and send it to OmniFocus, which is my task management thing, and be like, hey, do this. Here's all this stuff. Do something with like go go watch a movie about that or go find five books about that. So I, I try to make the capture process easy. I, I like it on my phone because you typically have your phone on you. Um, but all these apps I have for my computer as well. So wherever I am, I can put it in. You're probably asking yourself, why don't you just write it in a notebook? <laughs> I use Notion. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We're fine. I, yeah. um, my handwriting is awful. It's always been awful. I've never, I've never written a damn thing that I could read later. Uh, and so I don't like using notebook. I like using like, um, digital means to capture stuff. But um, so uh, then when I do have time to do creative and I'll just use writing as the example because that feels like the easiest. Um, I sit down, I, I give myself some like three block time to just allow myself to write. And the first thing I do is I go into that common book and just see what's in there. You know, if I've had something I've been working on that I know I want to put time in to do again, I'll, I'll follow that up. But if I'm starting at the the foundation, I will look through that common book because these are the things that were inspiring to me at one point in time, you know, so hopefully I, I translated it enough to myself again to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what's cool about that idea is X, Y, and Z. So let me just outline first, right? Then I can create project. Mm -hmm. um, and so that sort of time management of, of giving myself those windows, that's the hardest part because that requires the discipline. Yeah. Um, and I don't do great at it all the time. I, I, am, I am backlogged on doing it, let's say, for a while. Do you have a time goal for yourself? Like, I want to spend X number of hours in this sort of, like, free creative block for this week. Um, I, I wish that I applied it to myself more that way, but I do not. Um, I, I, what I don't like to do is waste my work day. And so I will make sure that if I have time in my workday, it gets filled with that. If that makes sense? Yeah, that does make sense. So well, it's like, and especially because you give yourself these hours of like, I work from nine to five, right. Monday through Friday. So Friday afternoon, when I am done with all of my day job tasky stuff, I'm going to keep working until five. Absolutely. Um, I think the thing that I do poorly in terms of the discipline part of that is that like part of that time should also be taking in new things and like feeling inspired. And then that turns into me just being lazy on YouTube or like lazy on Vimeo or, you know, uh, just going down one of these like rat holes where like all I'm actually doing is consuming and I'm not putting anything out. I I'm becoming media glutton 
and not actually doing the work. So then I get creative beer belly, <laughs> which is yeah. to say that I just I just come across sloppy, right? Right. Well, it's it's creator versus consumer. Right. Totally. Um, I I'm working to be better at that these days. I've like I said, you know, with with the world being what it is, I've allowed myself some freedom to suck at this. But uh, in my most idyllic stage, that is what I'm achieving. Um, cool. But yeah, I mean, like I, that doesn't say that I, I don't work like nights, you know, but I do feel like what has happened more recently is that. I have um, I have taken on more day job work stuff and not left as much room for that personally satisfying creative. Um, I mean, look, and that's just like buying a house and stuff is that suddenly you're like, oh, my money matters now. Shit. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll do this because it gives me more money. Right. And that is a great segue. Oh, sure. <laughs> you brought up the money on your own. How do you pay for your life? Um. Well, I have I always speak to my fortunes. Uh, I have been fortunate that I have never had to take an out of industry job. Okay, so I have uh, since college always worked in entertainment, mostly through editing. I I did PA days, you know, back back in the day. Um, and but I I was able to always rest on my skill set of editing, despite the fact that my goals and ambitions were directing producing. Right. Um, so that has always been able to bring in the funds to do it. Um, there were lean years where that was not like that much money. There have been better years where it has been more than enough money. Um, but that's how I pay for my day-to-day life. Yeah. I've always thought that you were like incredibly fortunate that way of like watching your creative journey and being like, look, someone I went to high school with and college with, like graduated college, moved to New York City and worked in entertainment. Yeah. It, I mean, it surprised everybody. Like <laughs> it surprised everybody involved in my life, um, you know, because I guess for context, right? Like, I mean, of course, you know me, but it's like I didn't grow up with a ton of money. I didn't grow up with anybody else in my life that did anything like this. Like I've got an aunt and uncle that had the pin board of the world in their home where they all the places they had traveled. And that's like the closest to high class I had ever been. You know, and it's like I and I love those two. They're 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 amazing, and they are certainly people in my life that uh, allowed me the notion to think about ambition. But what I have done does not translate into their world. Like for all my family's world, you know, there were Christmases where it's like, oh, they he makes the YouTube, you know, and like that's the extent of what they understood about what uh, goes on in my life. I remember specifically like the, the first time I took a full time job, it was maybe seven years into being in new york maybe a little less uh and that was the time my dad was like oh finally he did something all because it was just like it had a 401k well it was a thing he understood that's exactly right it it translates to the thing he understands in his world um so like the fact that i i hadn't even visited new york before I was just like, yeah, it's this place. All my friends moved to L.A., but I think it's this place. I got on a plane and, you know, I just like showed up here at my friend Mandy Joe's house and like got my own place five days later and um, was able to do it. Uh, And then years later, I learned that that was male white privilege. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then and then i felt very crushed and defeated that um turns out the world is the world is stacked for me to be able to do that better than others which sucks um but you know i can't lie about my story i can't say that i suffered more than what i did no but you've also used your career to give the mic to people less privileged than you yeah, I, I, that, that, that's fair. I have a lot of my directing career has been about elevating voices of other talent. Uh, and specifically, all of the jobs I've ever worked, hardly ever are they an audience that are my audience. You know what I mean? Like, I one of my first consistent directing gigs was directing a teen girl sex and relationship show for alloy which was the mag the catalog you'd get as a kid that would sell you like surf shop clothes and stuff okay yeah it was like it was like a teen girl catalog or whatever but like they had a digital media company and i directed this show where a host was like uh, you know fielding these questions where it's like i touched a boy's hand are we getting married now (gasps) you know it's like and it's but not my audience uh and then i met my creative collaborator joanna houseman uh who we have made so many things together she's a venezuelan comedian she was working at a media company at univision called flama and they were making content for english speaking latinos like kids that had grown out of univision and thought that was mom and dad's shit and she hired me to be the lead director there and for years i made latino content not my content uh and then i you know bounced around i've developed a lot of things and i've hardly ever made anything that looks like what i consume uh but it's always been about putting other people's voices and and trying to make them shine the best way possible um with a lot of like talking to camera based things, comedy that orbited around the presence of that comedian, things like that. Um, Yeah. I mean, I have felt very fortunate that that's been the way I got to do it. Like it it makes you feel better about success to be like, well, it wasn't about putting myself over. It was about putting other people over. Okay. So you have talked about how you used to like your ideas used to be sketches and web store web series. Yeah. And now you're like, no, no, no. Now I pitch TV. Yeah, I have uh, in the past few years I have pitched uh I have pitched and sold a couple of things. I mean, not sold in the way that like they've succeeded. I have gotten in a room, somebody said, "Yeah, we'll give you some money if it's if it's better." And then it didn't get better, so they didn't give me any more money. <laughs> so that's where my Hollywood story has been. <laughs> I love that you can laugh about that instead of kicking yourself about it. Yes. Uh yeah, you know that's that's it's, it's interesting. I have always said that and god, you may even remember this from college. I never said like the job I'm going to have is this. I never said that like I'm going to be a director, I'm going to be a director of photography or anything. I always said I want to tell stories. And like that's it. And and really that sounds like, oh, wow, he's got like this wise sort of statement. That's really just setting myself up to never be disappointed <laughs> because it's like I could tell a story spinning a sign out in front of a subway and like that. That's there's a journey there, you know, and like and I, I am selling the story of where you go to get premium meats and quality eats, you know, uh, <laughs> but like truly it, it has been a statement that has made me feel like there is freedom to navigate what I'm doing and to not be disappointed if things drop, you know, like, and and to speak to one of those drops, 
I would say that my work was predominantly directing until about the fall of 2018. I was doing a lot of digital directing and we had reached a point where Facebook's promises of paying creators for stuff really kind of fell through the floor. And so you had all of these companies that had pivoted all of their strategy towards making Facebook content suddenly not have budget for videos anymore. I went I went on a trip to Japan for like a summer. I went, I went for like three weeks. I came back and four clients were like, we don't hire directors anymore. We just have the writer tell the actor what to do. Because the writer was a 20-something that they paid like 35K a year on staff, and that was cheaper than paying a director with a day rate. Yeah. Well, and the writer is so grateful for the work. Totally. That they'll just do it. Absolutely. Um, And so when December of 20 – not December. When fall of 2018 hit, my whole base method of income changed. And then I had to fall back into editing. Um, but it didn't feel like a demotion because, again, I'm telling stories. And, I, you know, I, I feel comfortable editing. So um, has it been an ego bruise a little? Yes, there's always those moments of ego bruise. But um, it has also not been a thing where I can look at it and be like, well, I'm failing now. Because, like, my 2019 editing was, like, my most profitable year. And it was no directing at all. Do you feel comfortable talking actual numbers? I uh, yeah, I mean like I'll give you I'll give you like base strokes sort of thing. What's like the ballpark figures of what you make from editing versus directing, etc.? Great. Um well nowadays my directing income is I would even only say like, you know, this year, I mean it's the COVID year, right? So like my directing income even if we count some executive producer stuff because it's a blurry line when you're doing Zoom stuff, it has been like 20% of my income or something like that. But I would say from 2014 through 2018, it was all my income was directing. Uh, and those were the years where I went from so – let's break it down into, into eras, right? Like the, the post-college to 2014 were the years where, um, you know, I had a year where I claimed like 27 grand on my taxes <laughs> or something like that. And then I, you know, I would kind of ballpark around like the 50 to 60 and it was mostly doing PA jobs and editing jobs and, and, and getting by. And I, I was married at the time and so I had – we had secondary income so that's how we kind of kept going. Um 2014 hits, I start picking up directing in a big way. 2014 to 2018 is the year that I crossed the the 100,000 a year mark. And that is when that's when the well gets poisoned. That's bad. And I'll explain to you why. I will gladly explain to you why. Because once I let's categorize that. Once you get over $100,000 a year in New York, that's still not like amazing but you are certainly not suffering anymore and as a kid who never thought about making money that way that number then represented a pressure of being like well i can't dip below that now like i and i and i'm I'm being like very transparent i reached that point where i was like i if i now dip below that number i will feel like i lost the accomplishment and that is not creative thinking. That is not allowing yourself the freedom to fail. Now that's putting a pressure on yourself saying, like, I have to continually achieve something. So from that point on, I have been a person that 
takes on more work because I like am proud that I have been able to achieve some sort of monetary success in that way. And I certainly don't want to lose it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's scary. It and it makes and it makes the effort of squeezing in creativity all the more daunting because any room for failure can now impact that metric you've set for yourself of like what is you being successful, you being out of the farmlands, you know? Yeah. So do you do you try to recalibrate what your definition of success is then? Yeah, totally. Like I think if you know, because and especially when I've made the switch to editing, when I, you know, 2018, I went back to editing and I still was having very profitable years. Like, it, it, you know, I had already said it like better than those years prior. I was like, oh, now I need to now the thing that starts changing to me is like what what amount of work is the creative satisfaction? Because this thing pays the bills and then some like I'm able to be comfortable and I'm able to have the freedom to now design where I want to go does that mean it's still directing does that mean that it's still putting in all this effort in other areas that are similar to what I bring in so it's like these past two years have been the years that I've started like playing around with like board game design as like my creative outlet of like what is it to make a game right an experience that someone has that isn't narrative or could be narrative, right? Um, <clears throat> what is, and it's also been the time where I focus less on elevating other people's voices. I still do that. But then I go, and now I have the time to say, what is it to elevate my own voice? And that has been a scary time. That has been, that has been me feeling the most failure I've ever felt. Well, it's also really vulnerable. Totally. Because it's your story that you're telling now. It's your story that you're telling now. And and again, maybe this is just me. But then you have the thing where it's like, and this is the thing that would make me broke. Because I got this thing that's paying me pretty good. You know what I mean? It's very weird. I, I It's funny that you brought up the money because I'm sure... I think I think my uh, I, I'm sure it's not a crazy story to have about money, but that like money is weird in my life. I didn't grow up with a lot of it. So to like have access to it in a way that is different than the other people, even in my family, puts a pressure on me that like it influences my choices now. Yeah, I find I always hear my grandparents in the back of my head. Sure. And I like for the people who don't know. Basically, my grandparents took care of me when I was a child because my mom was a single mom. So she worked. Grandma picked me up from school, etc. I spent summers in a little town outside of Fort Wayne without any friends. Me, my sister, my grandma, my grandpa. The end. Right. Um, so I always hear my grandma saying, you've got a good head on your shoulders. Make good choices. And every time I spend money, I'm like, is this something that my grandpa would do? What would he think about the money that I spent on the house that I live in or this class I'm taking? Is this valuable? Even just living where I live in the world in relation to the rest of my family, I am constantly battling the feeling of like whether I am loving that I'm I'm taken as the bougie one or dreading that people think of me as the bougie one. 
Yeah. You know, it's like um, it is very weird. I, I I think conversations about like shifting in class amongst family is is a, a fascinating head fuck. Um, but uh, so to get kind of get back to like how I pay for life, it, it, it pays for life now. And now I am in a place where it feels like creativity is a luxury that I get to pursue. And what the biggest head fuck for me about that has been that that makes it harder. I think that's really interesting because in my brain, I'm like, no, no, no. Money gives you freedom. Money. I like uh, I am an, uh, an avid fan of Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, Rick and Morty. Um, he he my, my main comedy community in New York was Channel 101, which is a thing he started out in L.A. and a little bit here in New York. And so uh, he talks uh, he's talked before about like the dread of making a lot of money. He He's like he's like you just like make your 40 grand. Make your 40 grand, and I'm sure the number inflates now because he said that long ago, but he's like, make your 40 grand, pay your rent, and don't make much more than that because the more the moment you start making more, you will get less hungry. Now, don't take that as a statement of me saying like, you guys have it great if you're not making your bills right now. That's not what I am saying. But I am saying is that like your head and discipline about the work that you do has to shift because we all have it ingrained in us that money is a a indicator of success and when that is combined with creativity as a method of success you start to think that you don't need to be as creative anymore and it's and it's really tough to work out i don't know if that I mean, made any sense it makes some sense it makes sense to me yeah. it's just really interesting i'm always like oh i want to make more money yeah, more I mean, look, I, the thing is, I still want to make more money. There's a lot of there are a lot of expensive things that are like, ooh, that'd be great if it was not as expensive in my world. But right? um but like, you know, I certainly there are there are shoots that I had that were a lot more fun when I didn't have the money to like blow the budget on rentals and stuff like that and instead we just fucked around and made it. And then that was the stuff that got me the work, not the stuff where it was like, okay, you know, like I've made two short films um, in the past like five years that I bankrolled myself. And one of them never saw the light of day. I, I felt the failure on the rough cut. I was like, this is bad. And I put it away and I never showed it again. Uh, and then the other one that I made, I struggled to get done. Now, you know, to caveat, I was like also going through a divorce. So like my life was turbulent at that time. But it took me far too long to edit it. And then we started releasing. It's in festivals now, but they're not real festivals. They're streaming and stuff, you know? No, no, no. They're still festivals. They are the festivals that we are allowed to have. Yeah. It's like, I feel I, again, this is the way I beat myself up. But I'm just like, oh, this is the only time I've ever gotten into festivals or when it's like anyone can stream it. <laughs> it feels like uh, it's very, I'm very self-defeating in that way. But I've, I've paid for both of those short films out of pocket. And like one was budgeted at around like seven grand and one I spent 12 grand on and it didn't make me any more proud of it. I don't feel like what you saw on camera felt like such a dramatic departure from when I was scraping by and doing it. If anything, pump having to then facilitate the money part of it and knowing that it was my money I was putting into it put me in my head more. And suddenly, and suddenly I, I wasn't making my best work. I was making work within means. I was being like, well, I don't have the budget to do it the way I want, so I got to do it this way. When I was, when I wasn't broke, I didn't care what the like correct way was to make it. I was just, what's the coolest way to make it? 
It's, I don't know. It, you know, you're, uh, this conversation is time stamped. I will probably have a different thought about it in the years to come, but I am in a place right now where I, like, I want to combat that feeling that, you know, comes through in these years where, um, I have felt like I, I have the money to do things and now that stresses me out more. <laughs> I, think that's, I think it's interesting um, to feel that way. And like I was talking, I'm in a group of some really awesome women and we get together on Monday nights on Zoom because yeah. this is the world we're in. And we're talking about it. And I was talking about being scared to start this podcast. Yeah. And like... I was like, I spent the afternoon doing nothing because I was frozen in fear. And then I journaled about it. And now I'm here talking about it. And this woman is like, you know, the thing is that if you think about all the good things happening and they ask you about the process, you don't want to say that you like white knuckled your way through it and you were forcing these things. You don't want to be that pretentious asshole who knew from the beginning that you were making this to go to Sundance. Right. Totally. No. You want to be the person who did it for the love of the story and the fun, and you're just so amazed to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you, Or, uh, you know, uh, my interpretation of that is I want to be the one that's like, I made a thing because, like, yeah, the thing is good. I don't fucking care who sees it. Who cares? I just, like, made yeah. it. What's next? Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard to do that. And I have, like, a, I have a little post-it note being like, I get to ask questions that I'm not supposed to ask today. Yeah, right, right. This is now the time for you to get to be a little nosy. Yeah. You just sniff on in. Uh-huh. Move around. You find the dirt. You have fair warning. Yeah, totally. No, we we all, I, I agreed to it. Yeah. <laughs> and I get to do those things. <laughs> totally. But it is that sort of, like, reminding yourself... That you're doing it for you. Well, yeah, and 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 coming to terms a little bit with like what drives you, right? Like, if if this you know uh, weird relationship I'm having with money right now is there any indication? It's that like maybe I didn't understand what I was considering success. Maybe when I got into this, my ambition was telling me one thing, but it was actually another, right? Like what, uh, you know, the time that I spend thinking about what my creative voice is, is a lot about analyzing what's the chip been on my shoulder for all these years. What's been, what has been the part that drives me to be like, I am fucking better than what people said I was. And like, what is the thing that illustrates that to me? And what I'm learning is that like financial accomplishment or at least financial stability was a part of that. Because I remember being a kid where people are like, this is I my dad will never admit to this conversation, but like I love saying it. But I remember having a conversation where um, we are sitting as a family uh, across from like a, a financial advisor for college or something like that. And it was me and my older stepbrother, my older stepbrother, who is, um, you know, Dan, he uh, was very academically accomplished in high school, honored role. Like there was no doubt what he was going to go do it was going to go do something. And so we're sitting there and they're trying to figure out about financial planning about college and they're talking specifically about us and it's like well dan's gonna obviously gonna go to school chris is gonna figure something out they said it to me without asking me they just like said he'll figure something out right like i was some like carny hobo riding the rails that was still gonna have that loaf of bread in his satchel at the end of the day and like and and ever since then i have just always been like i will fucking show you 
who's gonna just figure it out you know yeah. uh but it's been it's been humbling to admit that like once i reached any sort of thing that satisfied that back of mind uh passion um i now have to deal with the fact that like as a result, I can feel lazy and I can feel undisciplined and I can feel like um, I, I don't have the same hunger to work anymore. And the truth is just I need to recalibrate what that is. And everybody has to do that. Like it's all about like getting older, adapting, uh, finding out what motivates you, really funneling down to like what is the thing that drives. And especially yeah. if you've got to work a job that's not your creative self, you need to know what your creative self actually is if that job is going to at all be something that you can handle. Because otherwise it will eat at you that you are stuck doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's just like, that's a process. I'm making loud noises. That's a process of life is to achieve a goal and figure out what the next thing is. Right. Yeah. Totally. And um, yeah, I'm fig- yeah, figuring out what the next thing is, what makes room for what, you know, like I'm at a place where... I'm like, you know, there will be kids in the timeline at some point, and then I'm going to really have to start to figure out what I do with my time every day and how do I get shit done. And we're like, oh, gosh, I, I have a lovely little life of nine to five every day and all this stuff. And I'm like, that'll be blown out the goddamn window. Yes, if you want to be an involved parent. Yeah, totally. I don't want to be like a a, a bad one. Like, I again, I'm a straight white man. The, the cards are expecting me to not be good at this. Yes. <laughs> I need to rise up and be better than what my prescribed look is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to defy societal expectations on that one. I constantly, and then and then just ap- apologize for saying anything ignorant. <laughs> just apologize for all of it. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. I, I I do not know what I do not know. Please help. Please hey. help me learn what I know. What I don't know. There's Google for that. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm not asking. I'm not walking around being like, hey. I'm not like walking around someone be like, you're a black person. Teach me black people things. <laughs> like I am doing my own goddamn homework. <laughs> it's okay, 2020. Good. good, good. I would hope so. <laughs> yes. Um, is this still about money and stress right now? <laughs> yeah, I feel like it I've gotten, is. I feel like I've gotten you off the rails with my soapbox. Okay? A little bit, yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Um, I think we've just got like two more things, and Great. then we're kind of we're we're wrapping up what, here in a little bit. Um, how do you deal with taxes and retirement planning? So this part, I have always felt good about how to handle the taxes. It's like, okay, we're talking because of like freelancer income, right, or whatever. It's just like, great, thirty percent of that money is not mine. Every time cool. I get that money, 30% of it, not mine, goes to another bank account. I flood, I, I've had a tax person for years try to get me to do these like little estimated voucher things where it's like, this is what you could expect. And I'm like, that's a stupid way. I'm going to put 30% of my money in this. And then at the end of each quarter, I'm just going to flush it. That account goes away. That was never my money. And then he always is like, but you're putting too much money in. And that doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to me. I'm because I'm a person who deducts a lot. I am a person like I am. Um, my task management mode gets really sets in about like how I maintain this part of my life. So I got like little I got like scanners on my phones for my receipts. I'm like constantly like, what's the dual purpose of this very nice TV? Oh, now that's my color grading monitor. Like, yeah, I come up with and I'm not doing anything shady. Government. 
government. I'm not doing anything shady. I am just uh, being realistic about what these things are that I'm going to use for and appropriately balancing it. Um, but like, I still, for the money part of it, I just, I dread, I've had two years where I owed so much money on taxes all because like I was trying to do mental math instead of just like, and you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to make the more of that money, my money. Well, yeah, because you wanted it to oh, pay for your life. Totally, you wanted it to pay for your life, and, and like again, I have I have always been in a situation where even if things were lean, I, uh, you know, I've I've had times where it's like I, I I say like, well, I'll put that tax money back later, and maybe I just don't pay it this quarter or whatever. Um, but by and large, I've never been so drained and and, and screwed in sort of that way. Now, I've had times where I messed up the math, and then a big invoice I was getting went directly one hundred percent to taxes. But now I'm past those years. Now, now it's 30% goes away and then I'll just I'll get some money back later and that'll be that. Um retirement's trickier uh because nobody thinks in their 20s that that shit matters. No. No. Why would it all, matter? We all listen, Margaret and I went to the same high school. I said Margaret. I never call you Margaret. Uh no. Maggie and I went to the same high school. We both took government econ where we had a high school teacher explain to us what compound interest would look like in a 401k. And then it went right out the window. I mean, I'm not gonna speak for you. I bet you're great with it. I went out the window. I didn't care. And and, for, and truly, that's like filmmaker thing that I've heard many a time. Like, I, I, got, I got married early, and so I didn't have the financial irresponsibility of being like, let's just blow a bunch of credit cards and make the best movie ever. Um, and I honestly felt like it limited me a little bit because I was around a lot of people who blew 40 grand on their first film and, you know, did get some success. But, um, yeah, it, it does it does mean that, like, Anytime I had extra income, I wasn't thinking about retirement. I was thinking about, like, what's the project I can put that money into? Uh, and so then when I got my first full-time directing job, then I, like, was like, oh, 401k, let's actually talk about what that is. And then I went aggressive with it and just always budgeted my life for it. Um, so, like, I've, I have been able to put back for it, but only in the years where life's been more fortunate to me. You know, there were plenty of years where I did not. And who knows if that'll bite me in the ass yet? I don't know. I don't exercise super great. So, like, maybe I don't need to worry about this money too much. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, that the I feel like that's a... Um, you asking that question feels like... It, it doesn't feel a little bit like you're asking that question because you're like, what did I do? Well, how was I supposed to do it? Well, to me, taxes are terrifying. Mm. Okay. I am always afraid that somehow I'm going to screw up and then terrible, awful things will happen and we'll end up homeless living in a tent on the street. All because of the taxes. Yes, absolutely. Because of taxes that I have never filed myself. You have to, you have a person. I have always had a person. Yeah. Um, we just changed to a person who is like an entertainment person. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the they have a little bit of a head, bigger headspace. I always had my person in Indiana who is my family's tax person. Oh, that, that guy don't know how to do anything in another county, let alone another state. No idea. And this poor woman, one year she had to file in Indiana, D.C., Virginia, and California for me. Oh, I Because I lived in D.C. I was working. I was teaching marching band in Virginia. I was waiting tables in D.C., in between moving from D.C. to L.A., I stayed in Indiana for three months to teach more marching band. Yeah. 
And then I came out to California, did not get a job, but lived here. So had to file to say, hey, I didn't make any money in California. I my first adult year, like in New York, I did my taxes at an H&R block. These folks did not know what they were looking at. They I, they had to do Indiana ones because it was the moving year. They messed it up so bad. It was an absolute mess that the next year I got a, a like a local tax guy who was familiar with freelance income. And he point blank was like, I got to redo the last year. Otherwise, they're going to audit me. This is awful. Uh, and he like redid it. And I have stayed with that guy ever since. And if, and if there's like... I don't know if we want any tax advice here, but the thing that my guy has stressed upon me that has been so beneficial to me, both in thinking about like the financial burden of my creative projects and also the necessity to do them is knowing that like the, the things that I make creatively that I pay out of pocket, you, there are more often than not ways that you can write that off your income and say that like there are. A lot of those short films, that was personal advertising. That was advertising of my brand and business. And, yeah. and, and like, look, I, I mean, I'm not going to go giving out all my details. But, like, it does mean that, like, I can think of that expense as not just a selfish endeavor, right? Because, like, when we're making personal projects while you're also being like god I, I wish i was like putting back for retirement or other things it is helpful to know that like that money allocates in some other business way that lets you feel better about the fact that you need to spend it no i'm not talking about much but it's like you know even in the days when i was making channel 101 shows of like the stupidest idea I could come up with because I thought it was funny and I needed to blow $400 on sock puppet materials or whatever. Knowing that like I could in the in the United States of America claim those things as expenses felt like, okay, I am supposed to be doing this right now. It, it, there, you know, despite all of the pressures that we have against us, this part of it does like allow me the ability to say that like I, I'm able to uh, to go do this, and it's not just selfish; it's also my work. Yeah, it gives you permission. A little bit, yeah. I mean, a little bit. It's also uh, taxes suck. Um, taxes do suck. Also, I just feel like we need to say we are not tax professionals. Please talk to an actual tax professional before you decide to write off four hundred dollars in sock puppet materials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want someone lenient, talk to my tax guy. Because he's pretty chill. <laughs> but also, like, you know, getting a tax person who knows entertainment and freelance is really helpful because I would never have been asked if I had spent money on a short film for my own acting career from my tax person in Indiana who's like, well, did you put – what did you spend on health insurance and did you do any home improvements this year? Those were the deductions that she was familiar with. Totally. I mean, I would even take that a step further, which is to say that like talk to people uh, – I mean, look, this is the point of your show. Talk to people about how they pay for things because that – first of all, you'll find out there's a, lot, there's a lot more trust fund people out there than what you thought and that one will, that one will hurt. But you will also meet the people who are just like hustling and grinding and figuring it out. And I, I think especially I, you know, I think L.A., the experience is like this, but especially in New York, like you're constantly surrounded by the pressure to spend and to show off more. Right. And talking to people about how they actually do it kind of can help you set reality checks about 
what what of these like gratuitous expenses of your daily life are actually like needed i can't tell you how many people in my life are blown away at how much i cook my own food because they're just like how do you do that in this city and i was just like because i want to afford things like it's like do it like just you know like and, and i'm sure i've had those same sort of calibrations well, there, there's nothing there's nothing shameful about just being like how we do, how we doing this you know but maybe there is I, I i talk to people about anything i find that i get away with a lot of questions yes because i I always give people an out of like, hey, I'm really curious about this. So this is me not asking, but letting you know that if you want to talk about it, I would love to know the answers. Right. And it's always sort of that that sort of dance of trying to figure out, okay, how rude can I be in this moment right, right, and right. still have them like me afterward? Exactly. It's like – um. Yes, this feels very Midwest in nature, by the way. It's like we know how to like passively accomplish our things through pleasantries. Yes. Also, I'm cute and I get away with a lot of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you have an unassuming stature. Yes, yes. I used it very often waiting tables. My favorite was yelling at people to move and then they'd turn around to see who this rude person was and I'd smile up at them because everyone is taller than me. <laughs> totally. And then immediately it was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I was in your way. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, I win. <laughs> um, well, that's tax talk. That's tax talk. <laughs> that's it. That's our tax. That's our whole show. Um, yeah. Do you have what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. I think if I was to, uh, the advice I sort of give folks who are just doing things now, I, you know, in the world of filmmaking, I get around a lot of people who get obsessed with like making sure they have all the best equipment and all the best tools. And I always tell people that's stupid. Like it's like the best camera is the one you own. Um, the best idea is the one you make right now. Like don't let any of these things as intimidating as they are, get in the way of the process of just doing. And if anything, use limitation as your strength, right? Like, um rally behind the fact that like if 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 life is a struggle that creativity is the outlet from that struggle while at the same time allowing you the chance to build on something more and that's not me saying like hey squeeze in time to work on this book because you're going to sell that book and then you're going to be fine but it's like the creative outlet and the creative muscle is what makes even the harder parts of life enjoyable and like allows you to view it through a lens other than like dread and obligation. Yeah. And so I think I would tell myself that. I don't know. That sounds a little up its own butt. Why wouldn't I just tell my I feel like 15-year-old you would go, okay, old man, that makes no sense. 15-year-old now, let's also describe 15-year-old me wearing Jinko jeans and poser skateboarder shirts. Um would look at me currently a guy who buys a fair amount of like Eddie Bauer-esque clothing. Uh and just be like, shut up, old man. You don't know nothing. I'm gonna go watch some anime. <laughs> yeah. The differences yes. between high school me and adult me are large. <laughs> They're yes. wild. Um but yes, he wouldn't he wouldn't listen to that. Thank you so much for being my guinea pig. 
for being my first Absolutely. guest. Do you, do you feel like the um the fear of doing it has, has gone away? Is it dissolved or is it still in the back of your throat right now? It might be there, but mostly like I just had so much fun doing it. Yeah, it's been a lot. I love talking to you. It's fun. It's great. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is fun. I just get to talk to people I want to talk to about stuff I want to talk about. You are you are one of my closest friends. You are the friend that I have no problem having hours long conversations and phone calls with. And that I don't do that with very many people. So, uh, of course, this has been a blast. Yeah. Um, and are there any projects that you want to plug? This is your shameless self-promotion oh, time. Oh, God, I'm bad at this. Uh, okay, I guess I should promote that I have a short film that's playing at festivals right now, that, uh, which is uh, called R.L. Stein is Dead. It is a short film about real-life Goosebumps author R.L. Stein dying on the day that he promised his assistant to finally forward a script, and a Weekend at Bernie's-esque scenario ensues. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right, that's it. That's our show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Maggie. And that is our first episode of the Building a Life podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our first guest, Chris Knight. And also thank you to my husband, Brandon Ruling, for doing the first pass of the audio edit. Any mistakes or errors, however, are completely mine. Do not blame him. Um, please like and subscribe to hear the next episode. And if you need updates, you can follow me on Instagram at Mayruling, and I will let you know when a new episode is up. Thanks again.